Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Welcome to the ICMA podcast. My name is Mushtaq Kapasi, and I'm ICMA's Chief Representative for Asia Pacific, based in Hong Kong. Today, we'll be talking about green Islamic finance and green sukuk, and we're pleased to have as our guest today, Zalina Shamsuddin, General Manager of Capital Markets Malaysia. Hello, Zalina. Delighted to have you here with us today. Hi, Mushtaq. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it's too bad we can't meet in person, but at least we can record this podcast virtually and hopefully we'll be able to visit each other in our respective countries soon. Well, let's go ahead and get into the conversation. I'm sure our listeners are interested to hear more about your work in the Malaysian sustainable finance market and particularly Islamic finance. So let's start with a general question about Islamic finance more globally. So there are aspects of Islamic finance and the Islamic finance principles that are relevant to the structure of transactions. Right, what kinds of cash flows and so forth are allowed. And of course, there are aspects that are relevant to the types of assets and activities you're investing in, so certain ethical principles. We've heard a lot about the overlap between Islamic investment principles and sustainable finance in the conventional markets. So from your perspective, in what ways are Islamic finance products already sustainable? And where might there be opportunities to perhaps enhance the alignment between sustainable and Sharia compliant products? Thanks, Mushtaq, for that question. I think before I go into the explanation, I just want to clarify that I'm not an Islamic finance expert, nor am I a scholar. And my explanations will be very much from a layman's point of view. As we all know, the most relevant understanding of Islamic finance today is that it's based on four main features. One is it's asset-based, it's ethical, it shares risk equitably, and it's subject to good governance. So these sort of principles align to what SDGs today are trying to achieve as well. The other important fact that I'd like to highlight is Islamic finance is based on the Makassid principle, which means do no harm. So if you look at traditional Islamic finance investments, it excludes certain sectors that you can't invest in, for example, alcohol, weapons, certain food products. And the Mm. logic then was these sectors affect human beings in a negative way. But if you fast forward that and you sort of interpret it in a broader way, do no harm also includes things like do no harm to the climate, do no harm to human mankind through social issues. So it can be interpreted as broadly as possible, depending on what is needed in a specific time. Mm. So In my opinion, I think given the fact that globally we are all facing new challenges, we're looking at climate changes and risk, we're looking at social issues as a potential deterrent to progress of humankind, I think the Makassid principle is is broad enough to look into those aspects and therefore enable sort of additional filters to be taken into account in Islamic finance. So going then to your question of how do we enhance it? I think I'd like to highlight the fact that Islamic finance in itself is quite a new principle of finance. If you look at the size of the market relative to the conventional market, that in itself shows how new the segment is. And so although they've taken into account the negative base approach, and that has been seen to be some form of responsible investment, I think you will see that the trend, just like we saw in conventional, they've started looking at additional risk factors. They've started addressing other issues that lead to systemic risk, like climate change, that leads to stranded assets. 
And you will see that trend is Islamic finance. And we've seen it, especially in Malaysia in the last two years. We've seen that in asset managers and asset owners have started uh, incorporating, including extra filters for ESG to mm -hmm. enhance the quality of their investments. Well, this is really interesting. I, I one one point that I think um, maybe worth emphasizing is that the Islamic principles are actually quite dynamic, which may be a surprise to some in the audience. Um, they're principles based, but what you're saying is that the application of those, particularly to sustainable finance and to ESG investment, is actually changing over time and is actually adapting to, of course, the conditions of the planet, but also to some of the ideas coming through from conventional finance. And uh, I just think it's uh, kind of interesting to point out that um, we're now seeing do no significant harm as a, uh, a globally trendy principle in a lot of the uh, sustainable finance regulations that are coming through as well. And you know, this principle has been enshrined in, in Islamic principles for many, many centuries, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting to note that. All right. Well, let's let's get a little bit more specific now into the Sukuk market. Now, we won't go into detail about the structure of Sukuk or the details of the market. I'd like to refer our listeners to an earlier ICMA podcast, which we published in June 2020, where we interviewed the IAFM, which is an Islamic finance association, a think tank. And they talked in detail about Islamic finance history and products and role in the international capital market. So we won't revisit that conversation. But Zelina, I'd like to talk to you a bit more about the Sukuk, green Sukuk market and your experience in Malaysia. So let's start very basically. Who are the Sukuk investors um, and how different is the investor profile of perhaps green Sukuks as opposed to conventional Sukuks? How have you seen this investor base evolve over time? Speaking from a Malaysia context, right, Sukuk investors generally are usually the institutional investors, which includes asset owners and asset managers, and they're long-term investors, and they hold on to their assets. And given the environment in Malaysia, whereby the demand for Sukuk instruments far outstrip the supply, you will find that even with green Sukuks, the recent green Sukuk issuances, it's the Islamic investors that tend to take it up far more quickly than and there's not much left for non-Islamic investors. But if you would look into the context of, say, how the Indonesian sovereign green sukuk issuance was, we found in that sukuk issuance, mm -hmm. it was not only the Islamic investors that took up the disbursement, but we also saw a lot of conventional investors who had a sustainable mandate that mm -hmm. were included in the buyers. So I think there's room for conventional investors to start investing in a green sukuk. It's just that in Malaysia, because the demand for Islamic products far outstrips the supply, you find that traditionally it's just the Islamic investors who have that mandate that pick up the supply. That's, that's very interesting. I think it goes to show with respect to the Indonesian sovereign green sukuk that certainly this proves that the uh, sukuk structure um, is suitable or can be suitable for international investors and that it can be very attractive as a sustainable investment for international investors who are actually focused on sustainability. As you mentioned in Malaysia, the uh, demand far outstrips the supply. So what are the steps that the government, regulators, institutions like Capital Markets Malaysia doing to help grow the market, help ensure there's extra demand and ensure that the green sukuk market continues to grow? Okay, so uh, we're addressing it from two different aspects. We're looking at it from a domestic demand aspect and we're looking at it also from an international demand aspect. From the domestic demand aspect, 
I think at, at the moment, based on our strategies, what we've been doing is we're trying to increase or enhance the level of understanding behind green circles. What is the purpose of these kinds of instruments? What are we trying to achieve? How it relates to climate change? How it relates to investors' mandates for sustainable investments. So in light of that, what we've done is we've actually set up a center of excellence for asset owners and asset managers. And in that, what we're trying to do is enhance the technical expertise of Malaysian fund managers or uh, Malaysian-based fund managers in the areas of responsible investment and also to enhance their level of stewardship and how they engage within uh, companies they invest in. So that's on a domestic front. On an international front, what we've done is we've partnered various players like Islamic Development Bank, UNDP. And what we've done is we've had engagements in other Islamic jurisdictions so that the regulators, the issuers, and the investors in those jurisdictions recognize how a new instrument like the Green Sukkot can be sort of leveraged on to invest in sustainable projects. So we've done quite a few programs with them and that's been quite uh, successful and we've seen an impact from our programs. For example, we've done programs in Uzbekistan, we've done it in Pakistan and Turkey and uh, subsequent to our programs, we've seen sovereign or corporate issuances or we've seen the regulators starting to look at frameworks that can enhance these types of issuance. I think your other question was, what is the regulators and the government doing in Malaysia to announce this, right? Right. Right. So I think we've come to a point in the market, Mushtaq, that we are looking beyond green now. I think the general view is that just investing in green projects is not going to achieve the global needs of uh, reducing carbon emissions. And we're starting to explore the recognition of how do we fund transition projects? So we started off by creating a framework for green, and that was as early as 2014. We came up with a regulatory framework around that, and then we developed tax incentives as to encourage issuers to go down the green Sukuk path to fund their sustainable projects. And in Malaysia, it's primarily been in the renewable energy space. In addition to that, what we found was as we had industry engagements, one of the issues that issuers had was that fact that in addition to all the normal costs involved in issuing a sukuk, a green sukuk requires you to get a third-party reviewer or an yes. independent report. And some of the players found that a challenge because at that point, Malaysia didn't have any domestic reviewers. So we had to leverage on international players like Cicero and Sustainalytics who charged in US dollars. And so, so, so we handled this in two ways. One is the Securities Commission of Malaysia put in place a grant that reimbursed up to 90% of the costs of third-party reports. And in addition to that, we started working with the industry and our local rating agencies, RAM, Ratings, and Mark, started developing uh, skill sets in this space. And they now provide domestic third-party review reports. And that significantly reduced the costs of uh, getting green certifications per se. And lately in 2017, uh, in recognition of the need to have a better understanding of what green is, and to recognize that we should be moving towards sustainable, sustainable suku issuances that is beyond climate change issues, we enhance the SRI framework, the SRI suku framework to include 
social projects as well to explain what green projects could be. So it's not just renewable energy, but we're talking about sustainable water management. We're talking about sustainable waste management, green buildings. And we also included a new element called waka, which means that sukuks could be issued whereby the money is dedicated to have a social impact. And that would be the purpose of the proceeds. And I might mention that the SRI sukuk framework in Malaysia is actually quite innovative and perhaps ahead of its time. When was it introduced? I think 2015? 2014 was the first. 2014. So even before the social bond principles of ICMA, Malaysia had its own um, SRI sukuk guidelines. I think you make make a very good point, which is that when you're looking at Islamic finance, of course, it lends itself to green. But ultimately, a lot of the core of it is based on social issues. So social bonds have become very popular, uh, very very kind of hot in the last year or so based on the pandemic, but they've always been a a core uh, part of Islamic finance principles as well. Now, let me just circle back to one point you made earlier in your, your last answer, which I'm curious about. You mentioned technical assistance to asset owners and fund managers with respect to green sukuk and perhaps other types as well. I'm just curious if you can go into a bit more detail about where are some of the the knowledge gaps with respect to asset owners and asset managers that you've encountered in terms of uh, Islamic finance. What does the market kind of need to teach them? And what are some of the perhaps barriers from an investor's point of view to investing in green and sustainable super? Okay, so uh, the history behind this was a few years ago, we set up the Malaysian Green Finance Task Force. And the purpose of that task force was because there was a statement that the government felt that there wasn't sufficient sustainable finance available to support the government policies in terms of rolling out sustainable projects and providing funding for private sector. And we set up the task force to sort of figure out what were the main issues that the financial sector faced, what were the issues the corporates were facing, and what kind of policies the government may need to put in place to address those issues. And one of the key findings was the fact that I think asset owners and asset managers do not have an issue with understanding what responsible investments is. I think the issue Mm -hmm. at that point was they didn't understand the technical aspects of investments. So for example, I mean, renewable energy, everybody understands renewable energy now. But three years ago, Mushtaq, nobody understood what are the risk factors of setting up a solar farm? What happens if the land erodes? How will that affect Uh, the solar panels? And is there a secondary market for solar panels? And how do you factor that risk in? And therefore, how do you price it? So it's that technical aspect. So as we're progressing beyond renewable energy in the space of solar, we're talking about biogas, biomass. I think it's those technical aspects that they don't understand how to evaluate an investment project. So we're providing sort of bringing into play sort of best practices and examples from other more experienced asset managers in the region or globally asset owners who've encountered these issues and what kind of technical skills they've built in-house so that everyone sort of has an understanding of what the journey should be going forward. Okay, so it's it's actually more about understanding the technical aspects and specific risks associated with, um, say, climate-friendly investments, renewable energy, and so forth, and less about the aspects of Islamic finance, which are already familiar to yeah. um, these investors. Yeah, okay. that's right. 
Understand. Okay. Well, we've touched upon this a bit, but um, I, I want to give you a chance to answer a bit more fully. So I know that uh, Capital Markets Malaysia, basically your mandate is to promote the market and you're undertaking efforts to mainstream the concept of green sukuk globally. So how are you promoting green sukuk to the international investing community? And what have been some of the reactions and, and feedback so far? I think the reaction has been quite positive. Um, like I mentioned just now, we started off doing it, addressing it from two different aspects. The reality is, as I mentioned in Malaysia, that the, the demand outstrips the supply. I think globally, there's a lot more potential for uh, more issuers to leverage on Islamic finance products to fund their sustainable projects. And so we've approached this on a twofold basis. One is, as I mentioned, we partner play, players like UNDP, Islamic Development Bank, to enhance the level of understanding amongst regulators issuers and investors in other jurisdictions on how to use the green sukuk or SRI sukuk going forward. Besides that, how we also then we address the investor angle in the sense that we find with conventional investors with the responsible uh, mandate are looking to diversify their investments. So if we're looking at yes. regions, regions like uh, ours in ASEAN or in Asia, Although the green bonds market has grown, I think there's a lot of potential for the Islamic finance to play a role and to provide an investment opportunity in this space. I mean, if you look at the biggest markets here, like Indonesia and ourselves, Islamic finance would be a natural product that our conventional investors can invest in to get that kind of exposure to sort of make sure that their portfolios are diversified sufficiently. In that sense, what we've done is we've worked a lot with the UK government, where we've worked not only with the UK government, but we've worked a lot with the UK private sector, where the understanding of Islamic finance has been is quite strong there. And so therefore, we've addressed the awareness from a different point of view. For those kinds of markets like the UK, we've looked at it from a point of what are the investment projects that are available. So last year, we did a report with Climate Bonds Initiative that sort of gave an overview of the green projects that are available in Malaysia that can be funded or is funded through a green sukuk to give international investors an idea of the kind and variety of projects that are available in this region. So we've done that. The other thing that Interesting to note, Mushtaq, is Malaysia was invited to be a member of FC4S. FC4S is the International Network for Financial Centers for Sustainability. And this was a, quite a huge coup for us because this has provided us a natural platform to sort of further engage with international investors as well. FC4S is also the secretariat for the G20 Sustainable Finance Group. And so that has given us an opportunity to contribute to whatever work that's being done by the secretariat. In that sense, besides engaging with these uh, different players, we've also partnered in international events with uh, players like IFN, GFC Media, and other media publications in Asia to sort of just create that level of understanding and awareness. I think we find that it's a lack of awareness of what is available that's actually a mitigating factor. Okay. Well, thank you. So one last question for you, and maybe just moving a bit more broadly beyond sukuks and bonds and Islamic finance even, where do you see the opportunities for sustainable finance products in Malaysia within other segments uh, of the markets? I think there's definitely a lot of potential. Like I mentioned just now, we have a center of excellence for asset owners and asset managers, but we also have another center of excellence for intermediaries. 
So this is called the Malaysian Sustainable Finance Initiative. This includes the various industry associations from both banking, insurance, investment banks, the digital platforms, which is ECF and P2P, and also the private market players, which is PEs and VCs. And we've been doing programs for not only the bond side and the Sukuk side, but we've been also bringing in best practices to showcase what's being done in the space of PEVC and even ECF P2P. In the last six months or so, in our direct engagements with players in Malaysia, we found that there's increasingly an interest from these private market segments to actually understand more about responsible investment opportunities. And they are actually actively looking for investment opportunities. And I think this is a perfect time because if you look at it from the demand side, if you look at recent reports, I think eventually SMEs who play a big role in the global supply chain are going to have to become more sustainable. They're going to have to disclose or start reporting on their sustainable activities, on their carbon emissions, and they need to adapt their production cycles and their products to be more sustainable so that they can actively play a role. And this is important in Malaysia because most of our corporates are in the SME segment and they are part of the export uh, sector. And therefore, they need to change their approach to their role in the global supply chain. So we find that quite a few SMEs actually have started leveraging on ECF and P2P to fund these kind of projects that they have. In terms of PEs and VCs, now there, there seems to be initial discussions on the need to invest in carbon capture and storage technologies. And because this is, again, a new space and lack of understanding from a technology point of view, I think this naturally becomes a higher risk segment. And this is the type of segment that the PEs and VCs can play a role as they're in a better position to provide that kind of risk capital. So I definitely see that the success that we've seen in the public markets, you will start seeing that success in the private markets very soon in the next couple of years. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you raising that point because I think here at ICMA and perhaps uh, most of our listeners are focused on the, the big, large-scale public bond markets. Uh, most of the corporate issuers of sustainable bonds are obviously the large and sophisticated ones, at least initially in the market. And um, we can't underestimate the uh, the importance of the SME market and the large segment of, of smaller companies, especially in Asia, where the companies uh, you know, in general are not, are not that large. So it's a very important initiative you have there. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time for today. We'll have to wrap up. Thank you very much, Zelina, for appearing on our podcast and for your excellent insights today. Okay. Thanks a lot, Mushta. Well, to all our listeners out there, we welcome your feedback on this episode, as well as suggestions for other topics for ICMA podcasts. Please also feel free to contact us by email at APAC at icmagroup.org. Again, that's APAC at icmagroup.org for any questions or ideas regarding our work in sustainability. We wish you good health and an excellent day ahead. Goodbye for now. Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icmagroup.org.